Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Downtime with Downstar, episode 161. And today we are here with Mark Arsenal, Fat Lace. Mark, what's up, brother? What's good, man? Chilling. <laughs> Not much, bro. This is a long time in the coming, dude. Yeah, I know, man. Like, I think we've been uh, in park for about a month now, right? Yeah, but um, we, we've, we've been talking about it ever since uh, it was after Joey's podcast that we yeah. did and that was shoot that was episode 74 i believe and we're Jeez. yeah we're moving man we're moving but uh it's a pleasure to sit here and talk with you man thank you for your time i appreciate it yeah of course so uh, um just a quick breakdown for anybody who's not familiar with uh with you uh can you give us just a quick breakdown of who you are and what you do uh yeah um mark arsenal um i'm creative director for a brand called Illist. Uh, we've been around for 10 years. Before that, I was um, working at Nike as a global design guy for a while. And before that, I was in advertising for about eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Got you, man. Yeah, I've been doing uh, my my pre-production, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot to go over, man. You have quite a quite a resume. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the last times that that you and I ran into each other was when you did the uh, the pop up uh, on Rosewood at the Rosewood and um, Fairfax at the old Hundreds location. So, yep. uh, tell me about that, dude. Because when that came up, I was super excited, man. I'm a huge fan of the Hundreds, and and that shop right there just brings back so many memories of like going on a black Friday and just waiting in yeah. line. And, yeah. uh, how, how did that end up coming out? Um, well, so I, I was gonna, uh, last year was our 10 year anniversary for Illist. Um, I said, Hey, we should throw a party, right? We were gonna, we rent, we actually was, was in the process of renting. Um, what's that museum, the car museum in San Francisco? Uh, yeah, the Peterson. Peterson. And, um, I think, because I wanted to go all out, I, I, I hired a bunch of, you know, rappers and everyone. Uh, I think the cost was like sixty thousand bucks or something like that. Yeah. So I decided, oh man, should we really do this, or should we just get like a pop up for six months, and you know, just show people that, you know, we're moving to LA and let's just, uh, you know, expand and let people know that we're we're in town. So we ended up doing the pop up, and mm -hmm. I think. Um, we dropped a few collaborations and we did a few events there. And I think it, it helped us a lot because, you know, to transition from NorCal to SoCal, although we started in SoCal, yeah. it really helped a lot. Yeah. So how was the, uh, the overall experience with, uh, having that pop-up? It was cool. I mean, um, you know, it, it was funny cause I talked to a lot of my friends that have you know stores and they're like what you're gonna open up a, a store right now you know it's like the worst time and I, I didn't think it was the worst time i thought it was a a good time because uh you know you you kind of don't want to go off trends you just want to just do your thing and see what happens right i think we we learned a lot we learned that the city uh is not as active as it was in the past yeah the same time people are still down to support you and you know i think 
I think we did pretty good for considering that we were just there for six months. Yeah, no, it was super cool, man, especially when you guys had the uh, the grand opening of the pop-up shop. Uh, me and my guy went down over there, and uh, it was it was definitely a cool vibe for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those uh, whenever we open up a store, we have a line, pretty long line out the door, and the line was pretty good. I thought it was amazing to still see people line up for things, you know, like, you see it at Supreme, but now you don't see it anymore because they have the, you know, the ticket thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts since you've been around for so long? What are your thoughts on uh, Fairfax and uh, and all the shops out there and, and how the culture is now? Um, I don't I mean, six months is a really small sample size, but it is a, still a sample yeah. size of what people are into i mean it's difficult i think having a long-term lease there is not really ideal i think people don't want to go anywhere anymore they just want to kick it at home right and us because we're all on lockdown the world is i think it's reminding people maybe you don't need it you know maybe you should just order it online it's much faster you don't really need to need it now you know yeah yeah so i don't know it's it's weird i mean being online we're lucky we're lucky we're really mostly online in the united states um it's been pretty awesome you know i think we've we're doing much better than we were you know before the lockdown which is pretty crazy you know you just yeah. got to be really smart with your brand and try to figure out what you want to do you know like how you want to I guess portray your brand in front of uh, the world now because yeah. really people don't people aren't doing anything they're just really at home and surfing pretty much most of the day or taking a walk around the block or something like that. Yeah. How yeah. has this uh, lockdown affected you personally and then the brand itself? Um, for the brand, I think because we're uh, we have a huge. Um, we're kind of big in Asia right now. Um, it's it's kind of hurt some countries because of a lot of countries don't really rely on online and an online experience because it's the, a lot of people don't have credit cards in some countries, right? They just pay cash. Mm. So it, it hurts in some countries, but in in the U.S. it's it's great. You know, personally, I. I think it's given me a lot of time to work on projects I haven't touched in a long time. You know, like I sold a bunch of cars. Um, I'm focusing on like my bus right now and this 964 I just picked up again. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's like I, I have time to, to kind of, you know, concentrate and see what I really want to make out of these things. Is it making you reevaluate things on how you were spending time? And then when we get out of this, uh, are you going to? attack it differently than than the past um well actually it's funny it's like i don't my, my schedule really hasn't changed much because i i really i work pretty much uh all day yeah right because by the time most people are sleeping in the u.s i'm i'm still awake because i still have to talk to my asia counterparts and um i take two naps a day right so it keeps me pretty much awake most of the day which is kind of cool. Yeah, well, if, if we can get into it a little bit, what what is a everyday um, 
life look like for you? Like what, what time do you get up and what's on the schedule on a usual oh, day? Yeah. What's funny is I actually changed my uh, sleep pattern in the last month. I tried something different and it's actually helped a lot. It's weird. You know, like I used to sleep, Oh, take a nap like at nine to mm-hmm. 10 PM. Mm-hmm. And then that keep me awake till about two to three mm-hmm. AM and then go to sleep and then wake up about, about seven. But I feel like shit, right? Because four hours of sleep is not enough. Yeah. So then I switched my, my nap to like, um, four to 5 PM. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I just woke up and then, <laughs> um, and then that keeps me up till about 12, right? And then I'm, I wake up at six, so it's kind of cool. I, I get six, eight hours a day, so it's pretty cool. Is it hard to get into a nap and get out of it? No, I, it's my, I, I don't even have an alarm that wakes me up. It just, I'm just already used to doing this. I just, the switching part, like the hour switch was a little difficult, but I, I'm used to it right now. My wife's like, oh, is it, it's your nap time. You should probably take a nap. that's cool man yeah sometimes i end up taking a nap and it turns into like a a half sleep (laughs) i wake up like four hours later it's 11 o'clock and i'm like oh shit then you're up till four (laughs) yeah man so um that's very interesting man that you have it that have it scheduled out when did you realize the importance of time and uh time management and and the value of how much you can get into you know your day or to get out of it. I it cuz um I've been doing this for so many uh, maybe 20 I don't know 20 years maybe <laughs> cuz since I started in advertising um back in 2001 mm-hmm. um when you're in advertising you really don't sleep right like they they expect you to be there about 8 a.m. and then you're there till about midnight right like 9 a.m. to midnight wow. every day right yeah, these this like real hardcore hours. I mean, they pay you salary. There's really uh, the only time you get a bonus is end of the year. But we're like we're workhorses over there, right? Like we just relied on. I guess we're motivated because we want to make the best product, right? So I think when we did, um, when I did work in ad, um, you know advertising um, in the agency world, um, I, I learned so much about how much uh, time management and, you know, like, so learned a lot about time management. And when I did get home, you know, midnight or 11 p.m., I used that time just to kind of, like, use an hour to, like, cool, you know, like, ease my brain. And then I fall asleep and I wake up the next morning. But really, I wasn't married at the time. And I think, um, well, I was actually, I was married. I just got married. But I think advertising really changed my way of like seeing how I should be operating out there. You know, like you see everyone in, at the top, right. Of In any brand or any company, yeah. you see that these guys are like really, really working hard, working their asses off. Right. Like no one really just makes it out of nowhere. Right. Like they really work their ass off just to get to where they're at. And I, I kind of saw that in the beginning and, you don't really notice that you're doing it because you're just really working and you're having a good, I guess, pretty good time doing it, right? Yeah. So what what made you want to get into advertising? Um, 
I don't know. It was weird. I was like working at Gap, you know, Gap.com mm-hmm. for a while. And um, I said, oh, my a friend of mine said, hey, you should uh, work at our agency because I like doing Photoshop and designing, right? I worked there. Then I don't know. I kind of like moved up a bunch of ladders and became a creative director eventually. And I, I don't know. I, I really liked the atmosphere. Now, when you, when you started working for the agency, what year was this? Um, hmm. I would say around 2000 to 2006. Okay. Around there. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 2006 and then 2006 to 09, I was at Nike. And then the last 10, I was at doing Illis. Got you. Got you. Okay. So now you say you just moved to SoCal, correct? Uh, no, we're, we're in the process right now. We're, um, we know which area we want to move to. Got you. <laughs> yeah, we're just uh, we're looking at houses right now. How has this um, this shutdown affected uh, your looking for a house? Oh, it's not that bad. I mean, I think I could still sell my house for a pretty good uh, price, and um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I mean, I think housing market hasn't changed yet, and as far as like it's like people are trying to get rid of their houses. Yeah. Because they know that this thing's kind of temporary. You just have to kind of like ride this wave of, I guess, stay indoors, the stay indoor wave. Yeah. Thinking about maybe three months, two months, we'll be back to normal. Maybe hopefully one month. I don't know. Yeah. No, definitely. Hoping, hoping so. You know, because we were in the same the same ballpark, dude. We were, uh, we were looking for a house. And we actually put in a bid for a house and they didn't accept it. And then all of this stuff started happening, which uh, I, if they would have accepted it, dude, I, I would have been kind of scared, you know, because yeah. just everything is so uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. do you think that um, it's going to be more beneficial for buyers after all the dust settles? I think it will be in about two months. Yeah. I think it just all depends. If you can hold out selling your house, go for it. But a lot of people are in the middle of it right now, so it's a little little sketch, right, for those guys. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a weird time, man. It seems like some people are thriving, and it seems like some people are just hurt, man. You know? And yeah. It's, uh, it's it definitely is, dude. And I, I hope that something, something good comes out of all of this. Yeah, I think I read something today, and I try not to read up on too much uh, news, but I read on somebody's, uh, I don't know, stories or something. They're talking about how most entrepreneur guys, uh, they 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 help shape the future mm-hmm. because these guys are the guys that are, are pushing the most, you know? Yeah. It, it's unfortunate, right? Like Because, you know, uh, your mentality of – trying to create something while there's a, uh, something crazy going on, it's always on, right? Like your brain's like, shit, we got to figure this out because you're working for yourself, right? And yeah. you're hustling and you're basically like, dang, I got to hustle right now. Yeah. And make sure I can, you know, like, and I don't know. I think, you know, the same, you, you work the same way. Like your brain is wired differently than most people. So I think that's why we do what we do, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And sometimes it makes you feel um, like an outcast and a little lonely because the way that you think isn't the way that the masses think or maybe people in your circle. And um, yeah, they always think I'm a little uh, 
am I crazy? <laughs> you have to He's be. Gonna, yeah, you're going to go for it right now? Like, fuck yeah, I'm going to go for it right now. You know? Yeah, you have to be a little crazy, man. This is definitely an interesting time. And always in these times of pressure, um, you know, diamonds come out of it. There's hopefully some people are going to come out with a new business, you know, maybe up and coming entrepreneurs. This is their time. Maybe they they were being held back by their job and unfortunately they got laid off. So they kind of got forced into that um, entrepreneur mode. And uh, sometimes that's all it takes. That's all it takes, dude. It's always that one little one little thing. And, and I think this is not little, but I mean, it's helping a lot of people realize their potential. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's go ahead and jump into the beginning if we can. Um, where where were you born at? And um, what what area did you grow up in? Um, I pretty much uh, I grew up in San Francisco. I was born in San Francisco. Grew up in San Francisco. My parents were uh, pretty much hippies, mm-hmm. like Asian hippies. Pretty funny. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, we we basically. I mean, I grew up on Cole Street. It was a block from Hate Street. Okay. Uh, during the seventies, so you can imagine what that shit was like. Yeah. A lot of craziness. And my dad worked in Berkeley at UC Berkeley at the time as a janitor of all things because uh-huh. he couldn't get uh, a job until he finished uh, a part of his degree. So once he finished it at Berkeley, um, he was a janitor and working there. I mean, at going to school there at the yeah. same time. Um, he, you know, those two, uh, my, both my parents are chemists, so they expected me to go into that, that realm, right? Like, yeah. I should do something in the medicine field. I'm like... All right, I looked into it. I I, I liked um, uh, I liked cosmetic surgery at the time, so I I, I took up uh, biology, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be like a cosmetic surgeon because I was like way into you know like crazy shit. But um, I I didn't do that because uh, once I got into like all the seeing all the blood and I wasn't really into that. Yeah. <laughs> I got into uh, creative, um, you know, being creative. I took up interior design and. Became a interior designer. Got you. So, have you always been a, a creative person? Yeah, dude. Um, in high school, I got in trouble. I guess a couple times. I changed high school twice because of graffiti. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I mean, I loved art back then, and I still do. You know, I actually just found my um, bug for doing art again so i've been doing a lot of paintings lately very cool so you were big into graffiti back in the day yeah was it like 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 tagger crews or what uh i was uh i was definitely i tagged pretty much every day of the year and then um you know we do throw ups every now and then on the freeways and stuff dude that's sick yeah how how were those times man it was the best man i'm like (laughs) it's those are the best times you know like um i i knew every single graffiti artist out there like all the guys that are super famous now i I met them back then and still keep in touch with them what was your name uh well my first one was squeeze and then i got i got in trouble with that one and then um i did sushi one after that sushi sushi one sushi like sushi yeah yes one yeah <laughs> that's dope yeah so did your uh were your parents against it or oh yeah 
I think the first time I got in um, high school, I was in San Francisco. I had to go to a school up in the East Bay. Yeah. Uh, worst school, San Francisco school. <laughs> I got bus way busted over there. Then I moved to Burlingame. But um, yeah, they weren't really down. But they knew I was into art, you know? Yeah. We had a lot of cans at the house. <laughs> <laughs> so so then after... Um... You, you wanted to be a, a, a cosmetic surgeon and then decided that that didn't work out. Then where did you focus your attention after that? Um, well, my, my idea was because um, I was so into graffiti. I, my, a friend of mine said, dude, you just got to finish college. Do whatever it takes to finish college as fast as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. So then I, I looked it up. I was like, oh, I like design. So uh, I took up interior design and – and I finished pretty quick. I mean, it took me a, a couple of years because I switched uh, in the middle of two years, and then um, and then I, you know, I went into design and finished that. Got you. Now, did you end up getting a, a job in that field? Uh, no. I mean, I had a business at the time. I had a sign business, like sticker business. So we would sticker up all the cars, all the all the JDM cars back then, right? Like every single. I guess livery back yeah. then we would do on our friends cars and then just uh you know the, I was known as the sticker guy so I did stickers for every single crew out there <laughs> That's sick dude what uh what made you get into that Um I don't know I, I bought a plotter I I actually borrowed money from my my now brother-in-law mm-hmm. who's my sister friend at the time I asked him if I can borrow 3500 bucks <laughs> I bought a plotter. I still have that plotter, but I got more plotters now. But um, I still have that first plotter, and um, we just started making stickers because I thought it was. I, I worked at a sign company. Okay. I'm like, man, this guy. My, my boss was a dick. <laughs> you know what? I, I could do this, and then um, you know, I got I got the I just you know got the bug, and I got pretty good. Started doing websites, and I think from there, when I graduated, my dad said. Hey, you're doing stickers. You're making good money, but don't you want a real job? And I said, all right. And then that's when I got to the job at Gap. Got you, got you. So the 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 sticker business was that your first taste of uh, entrepreneur life? Yeah, yeah, totally. My uncle was a huge entrepreneur, and he was always that that dude was balling, right? Had all the new cars and stuff. I'm like, man, how does he do this? Yeah. Right? Then I, you know, I found out. He has his own business, and then I said, "Man, I want to have my own business, right?" I, but at the same time, I couldn't afford cars because I wasn't making enough, you know. Yeah. But the agents, you know, once I started uh, Gap, and then all the three different agencies I was at, um, they—that's when I realized, shit, I can make pretty good money, right? Because once you keep moving up on the ladder, your paycheck changes too, right? Yeah. So then, like, dang, I'm, I'm super young. I'm making crazy money and you know i think that's when i started buying cars now do you feel like you've always been an entrepreneur but you just didn't tap into that skill or do you feel that it's a skill that you can uh that you can actually learn and build on well there's there's a few things that i learned being an entrepreneur is one i'm not very good with numbers and the books right so uh now you know, we have business partners that handle all of that. And all I have to do is be creative, work with customers. I mean, not customers, work with um, other brand owners and create 
collaborations that are awesome, right? Like, I think that's my talent right now. I think I can really good at connecting with people and talking with them about the similarities that they go through and I go through, you know, like we, we, every brand owner goes through the same thing. Yeah. And I think I'm fortunate enough to, because we partnered with uh, guys in Asia, we got, you know, you know, I, I basically, I sold some of my, my company mm-hmm. and I think, you know, it, it's been great because I, I just have to concentrate on being a creative, which is what I love to do. So right now you're still the one doing the designs and the, the creative part of the brand? Uh, I, I do um, the creative directing. I have a, um, I have my team in Asia. There's about 12, 12 designers over there. Mm-hmm. And then we have, um, we have six people here oh. in the States, like my team in LA. And then I got three people up North. So say if oh, you, maybe- people so say if you want to do a collaboration with somebody what are some of the steps that you take to make that happen so one thing i learned about doing collaborations is um it's easy to do it right like um i think the the hardest part is when you're doing a collaboration with it's easy to do a collab with a friend right like friend owns a brand and then it's difficult to do a collaboration with uh, a corporate identity, right? Like huge corporate companies. There's so many, um, there's so much red tape. Yeah. But if you're willing to, um, be patient, um, you can pretty much do anything. You just have to be very, very patient. Right. I think when we did, uh, our beats by Dre collab, yeah. I'll use that one for an example, because I think, uh, it's a, that to me was one of the easiest collaborations I've ever done in my life because a friend of mine um, who used to sit next to me at Nike uh-huh. just happened to become the vice president of Beats by Dre, right? And um, I hit him up. I texted him. I said, hey, Omar, you, um, let's do a collab. He goes, shoot, we never did a collab with the brand yet. Uh, we've only done it with artists. The last one is Lady, Ga- Lady Gaga, right? Yeah. So, and, Shit, let let let's be the first brand. He goes, hell yeah! So I flew down there, or I drove down there, um, met up with them, and two weeks later we got the sample. Right, and yeah. it's never been that easy ever since. <laughs> that 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 that's a prime example of uh, knowing the right people, right? Yeah. And uh, I, with Nike, I've met so many people, and we've been able to do a lot of collaborations because of that. But at the same time, um, when I'm doing a collaboration with, um, like, say, hold on one second. For example, here's one. If I'm going to do a collab with, let's say, Orai from Japan. Uh-huh. Uh, Japan, I don't, you must know, is they're very formal with yes. everything. So when, when, when you go to Japan, you have to meet with, the president, you got to take the tour. You got to do the whole nine. Yeah. <laughs> right. You present to them what you, your ideas are, and then maybe they'll do it. Maybe they won't. Most of the time, they will. Right. But you in Japan, when you're doing collabs with anyone over there, you you definitely got to. You can't just text them. Yeah. You, can't just eat, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it's a little more formal. Yeah. Um, when we were over there for uh, Auto Salon in January, we um, uh, Ryan and I, we spent time with uh, RJ Devera and we went out to eat. And he was telling us about his past experiences there doing business. And he says that... Um, it's 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 a journey to do anything any business in Japan. He says you got to yeah. go go s- eat dinner, then you got to go drinking and smoking, and then yeah. and then it's so hard just to get that solid yes. He says it's yeah. like a, a Japanese yes. Is it a, a U.S. yes or a Japanese yes? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a J- Japan um, brands are definitely there's there's easy and there's. Uh, not so easy, right? I think it's way more easier when you know the owners and you're good friends with them, you know? Yeah. Japan or US, any brand in general, right? Luckily, I, I've got to know, I guess, owners of many brands and, you know, we just, I just text them or email them. Yeah. And it, and it goes down pretty good. Have you ever done a Bape collab? No, but um, my business partners in uh, Asia. They're actually opening up a vape store, so uh, um, we might be able to do something soon. Dude, that would be sick. That's my brand, bro. Number one brand. Vape. <laughs> I love it, dude. So, Definitely. So you have so many collabs that you've done. What was the collab that you first did that you, that you realized that with that knowledge, you can just keep building on top of that and you kind of realize the structure of what it takes to um to take a collab to the next level and to to feel that confidence to be able to approach a company and show them hey this is what we have this is what we've done um what was that like uh that collab um man we've done a, a gazillion right so i think i i uh, really helped us uh, open the door for everyone that one you know, actually, you actually cut realize... out for a second. I'm sorry. Oh, um, am I good? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, Beats by Dre was the one that kind of opened up the door for a lot of us. I mean, before that, we'd done, we've done a ton of collaborations, but that one kind of sticks out to me because, um, I don't know, people people enjoyed it. It was like one of those, fuck Beats by Dre or fuck, I love Beats by Dre, right? Like it, it, it was like before the, the Apple buyout. So I think it was a, a good time, good timing for us. Dude, that's so huge, bro. Beats by Dre collab. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's, uh, I know we're, we're kind of getting uh, off track here. I want to still paint the picture of how you got to where you're at now. So you, then you went to the agency about 2000, 2006, what were some of the things that really uh, interest you about that lifestyle, and then actually, and then took you to your next endeavor, which would be with the Nike uh, sportswear? Um, I think I loved agency world for a while, and then I think uh, after so many hours and so many Red Bulls, I was like kind of burnt from that. And I always thought to myself, I actually I realized. When you're working for an agency, at the end of the day, when the client leaves your door, you're like, shit, did this guy just, like, we presented him something, but I know once he leaves his door, his idea is going to be like, oh, man, I don't like that idea anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then you're like, shit, why don't I try working in the in, in the agency side? I mean, in the um, 
on the client side, because when you when you work at Nike or when you work at any uh, big company, they still work with agencies, right? So, so if you're you're on the other side of the um, you know other side of the fence, you can kind of like um, I guess you could kind of push the narrative, right? Yeah. Like you could you know drive the narrative. So I think um, I like that idea, and I thought it was kind of cool. You know, I thought working. Being moving on to like client side was a uh, pretty cool. So h- how did you end up making that transition to working with Nike? Uh, the, the Nike guys actually, um, a friend of mine, when I worked in advertising, um, he ended up working, uh, moving to Oregon and he invited me. He, I, I, I mean, we, we still keep in touch till today. He's not at Nike anymore and I, I'm not, but mm-hmm. He hit me up and said, "Hey, dude, I, I want to invite you to Nike. Um, check out the the scene. You might, you might, you might enjoy it. I want to introduce you to a bunch of people. Uh, I wasn't going in for an interview, but at the end of the day, I met with like four vice presidents, and you know that's not that's not a normal thing for any normal person to to go to an advert, you know, to to go for an interview. I think it's more like, wow, this." I think he sees something in me. I don't know. But at the time I was just like, Oh shit, man, Tiger Woods hit the ball here for here. I was like so stoked to be at Nike period. Yeah. Michael building, you know, like Mia Hamm building, like all these buildings of named that after these awesome athletes. And I was kind of just in awe at that. I didn't realize that they were, I was, they were actually interviewing me, but I, I, I didn't know, you know, and at the end of the day, they asked me if I wanted to work there. And I had said, I had to ask my wife first. Wow. So that that's probably a better way to interview the not knowing that you're being interviewed because they get to know the real you. Yeah, dude, I wasn't even dressed up, man. I was like seriously dressed like a normal dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like something that you would wear to go shopping. That's what I that's how I wasn't even dressed up. Yeah. So when you, know? you started working for them, what was your, your task that you had to accomplish? Um, well, they hired a bunch of people, like a bunch of specialists, you know. And I, at the time, I was uh, I had this blog called FatLace.com, so I, it was like before Hypebeast. Yeah. So it was really an early Hypebeast, and they really liked that, and they they saw that I was in advertising, and I had experience in in advertising world, so they knew that I understood not just the hype part of it. I they understood that I. I they they knew that I understood the business side of it, so I was just uh, in charge of creating NikeSportswear.com. Got you. Okay, so let's just get the timeline correct. You said 2006 is when you started with Nike. Yeah. yeah. And Fat Lace started in '99. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So let's go. Let's go ahead and we opened up the first Fat Lace store in 2006 while I was at Nike. So I actually had to give up the company to my wife and a friend and uh because like you can't own a store when you're working at nike got you got you okay so in that um in that what seven years uh let's go back to 1999 when you started uh fat lace what was the motivation to start that uh that was a i was a a way into hip-hop you know like break dancing uh graffiti still and um djing right music yeah that, uh, basically fat lace was, uh, my, my outlet to express what I was into. Right. 
So if I saw something cool about design, basically it's just like my Instagram. Yeah. You know, like uh, whatever I'm into, that's what I would post about. And I create these uh, flash, um, I guess, flash movies mm-hmm. where I, I, I hand drew uh, an Air Force One. You could pick colors and stuff like way before uh, there was Nike ID. I created this one thing, and so I think Nike kind of saw that, and they were kind of stoked with things that I was doing. Yeah, and you know, from there, I, I, I basically I wanted to open up a store. I couldn't at that time. I couldn't, so um, I finally did in 2006, with right when I got hired. So it was kind of weird. Okay, everybody, we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back in one minute. We all know that there's tons of places you can buy your car parts at, but when you really need help, who's in your corner? When you need parts for your Honda, you need to visit HeelToeAuto.com. Since 2002, Heeltoe has built a reputation for service and support. Let me repeat that, guys. Since 2002. It's 2020 right now. That's a long time of experience, man. These social media slingers and copycat web stores can't match Hilto's professionalism. Hilto even offers a complete OEM store for all your genuine parts needs. Whether it's for show, race, or just a badass daily, remember that HiltoAuto.com is in your corner. And guys, if you're on Instagram, make sure you check them out at Hilto Automotive. Please, please go to their page right now, add them, and comment that you heard them on Downtime with Downstar podcast. Next up is Downstar. Downstar is the premium leader in dress-up hardware and engine bay accessories. We have all the nuts and bolts for all your screwing and nutting needs. From engine kits, transmission kits, mount kits, clutch lines, brake kits, t-shirts, skateboards, hats, lighters damn we got it all we we actually have too much guys so if you can please come over and buy some stuff at downstarring.com or check us out at instagram at downstar make sure you give us a follow now back to the show so did you start fat lace just as your own sort of project to um have your own like social media yeah it was like my voice my voice to the world and People would submit random things like hip hop artists would send me their new tapes and I'd play it, you know, like just random, random, weird thing. How you know, long? Like I was into Jurassic Five at the time and we'd do something with those guys. Kind of cool. How did you even get traction? I don't know. That's the weirdest thing. Like people just started following us and I think the blog just took off, but I did. Um, I knew a lot of people around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how, but I had them blog. Basically, I had these people blogging 24 hours a day because they, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't a blog. It wasn't even called a blog at the time. We, we basically was just a bunch of ideas uh, and we would just post about it. Got you. So yeah. it, w- it was more people than you? Yeah, yeah, totally. I had like, 20 contributors around the world. It was pretty cool. Was that the, the right when it started in the first year? No, no. The first year was all me. And then I started asking friends, hey, do you want to blog on my blog? I mean, do you want to post up on my... And they were like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to tell my story. Wow. Tell... Yeah. That's crazy, dude. That's like as organic as it gets. Yeah, it was pretty fun. You know, I think we got we got pretty lucky with that. So take us back to to ninety nine. What kind of stuff were you posting up? What were you into? What was what was your jam? Man, it was just all hip hop. 
you know, I was into hip hop and design, like really good graphic design. That was my shit right there. Yeah. So yeah. W- what kind of hip hop were you into? Uh, just all the whatever was in that at that time. I was way into East Coast hip hop and like Jurassic Five, Hieroglyphics, like those guys. Got you. Dude, that's crazy. So you started that and then Nike in the in the six, seven years they noticed that what you were doing and um the culture that you had over there and then they wanted to bring you on the team. Was that how it worked out? I think uh it was my friend, uh my friend uh Glenn Chin. Uh, he was really, really the the key component to to me uh being exposed to Nike. He's the one who invited me up and I think uh, I was super fortunate for him to do that. That's a good friend, dude. Yeah. We still talk. And that guy's that guy's killing it. He's like, he's in the, you know, the gaming world now. So. Got you. Those are doing well. Dude, that's a huge community too. Huge. Yeah. You ever think about getting into that? Um. Yeah, I think we have a, we have something coming out with um, one of the gaming companies soon. I can't really say that one yet because cool. I don't. We we talked we didn't I mean we did NDAs already but I didn't I don't want to talk about it yet. yeah got you got you so uh, you say in 2006 is when you opened the first store when did you get the idea to uh, even start selling merch or anything on on the website um let me see I mean we wanted to do it obviously right away but dot coms weren't I mean you know like online sales wasn't really that popular yet yeah i think uh when i first opened up i think in 07 it started taking off so people i mean crazy i was at nike i put illis on a t-shirt and was selling really well and i was like oh shit this is like popping right like use a i used a titleist logo i cut it up and made it into illis i get sued by titleist well not sued i get a cease and desist from them and then we just had to kill that logo, but people wanted it so much. I don't know. It was crazy. Wow. That's that's huge, dude. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. I think um, I, I didn't know it was someone's handwriting. I oh. thought it was a font. Gotcha. So then I came up and they were like, no, nah, that's that's this lady's handwriting. She she wrote the, the logo for a title list. Wow, that's crazy. That 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 reminds me of uh of Diamond. Um I remember listening to one podcast and then uh I was always wondering what what font the logo was or what and he's like when I was building the logo, the guy just told me, "Hey, just write Diamond." And he wrote it. He's like, "All right, there's the logo." <laughs> it's yeah. the the simplest things like that can uh can grow into something great. Totally. I I've known Nick um since I think he was uh 16 maybe no way yeah like i used to design over at uh ftc skateboarding um i don't know what year that was maybe 98 90 97 96 something like that yeah maybe six yeah and uh nick was one of those little kid skaters always talking about man i want i i got this uh i got this bolt i want to make i'm like oh shit what's this guy talking about right yeah he Kent, you know, Kent owns FTC, and he's like, yes, Kent, hey, man, you want to fund this thing? And I, I was like, uh, not me, but I was like, well, I don't even know what he's talking about. And then, you know, a couple of years later, this guy blows up. 
Yeah, dude, his his story is amazing, man. He's definitely one person that I want to have a conversation with. Just uh, yeah. I I feel that there's so many parallels with his his story and ours. Just just starting off with hardware, you know, the most random thing that nobody would even think about. Yeah. But I, I remember that when we were talking and uh, at the um, the pop up shop that you said you had a collabo um, that you were working on with Diamond. Is that still something that's in the works? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we did one in the past. I don't know if you saw that one. No. Um, you know, yeah, we did a we did a whole collection together a couple years back, and uh, I told him, uh, let's let's do something else. And then you know we're we're still in the works, but we'll see. I mean, right. we we already. And everything we just got to produce it now oh very cool and then at the same time i think it was around sema if i'm not mistaken or or auto salon i remember i was at some event and you guys dropped the um the the hundreds collabo the steering wheel yeah dude that yeah, thing that's... flew off the shelves i know i think it sold out in 42 seconds it was crazy wow and we made a lot of them not a lot i think we made a hundred yeah but i mean that's a lot that's quick for 42 seconds you know yeah definitely um we have actually a uh actually you know it's funny the the hundreds collab was supposed to be a a bigger collaboration uh a global one mm -hmm. but i think we scaled it back because we wanted to make sure that we had the audience and then when we launched it bobby and Ben were like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's crazy, right? We were actually supposed to have a huge event at their warehouse, but because of the timing, SEMA, ComplexCon, it was just really too tight, right? The windows was too tight. So our next um, uh, something, you know, our future drop is going to be something that we talk about and having – we might do it at their – we probably will do it at their uh, their location. It just depends on when because this whole coronavirus thing is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's kind of messing everything up, man. I've pretty much um, not planned anything for 2020 until the dust settles and start over again. Yeah. Because uh, you see so many events and everything's closing. And uh, I don't want to get into the negative part of it. Everybody's in uh, it. Yeah. It sucks right now. But... It, it, it'll be a good time soon. Uh, I, I definitely want to check that out, though, for sure. Um, just just like Diamond Nick, um, the Hundreds is a brand that I look up to a lot. And after reading the book, uh, Bobby Hundreds' book um, last summer, it just made me have so much more respect for the brand and made me realize the, the steps that it takes to get to that level, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Have you ever it's, thought of uh, – go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. It's just a lot of patience, you know, like you definitely got to you're going to take a lot of wins. You're going to take a lot of losses and you're just going to have to, you know, power through everything. You know, like right now, everyone's trying to power through this craziness. And I think um, it's unfortunate. A lot of people might not survive, but at the same time, you just got to do you got to try to be as positive as you can possibly be during this crazy time yeah no definitely right about that now have you thought about um writing a book about your story um actually i'm writing one right now it's pretty funny no way uh, yeah i have a i have a cousin well a cousin-in-law that's written a gazillion I don't know, a bunch of books 
and um, she's she's kind of coaching me on what to do and trying to you know trying to figure out how how to come off correct versus you know what I mean like versus coming off a different way you know yeah that's cool man that's um that would definitely be a good read for sure so let, let's get back on the uh, the timeline so 2006 you start at Nike and that's the same time that the the stores opening uh, what was life like back then for you um it was very simple I think you know I think you 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 have you have nothing to worry about when you're getting a regular paycheck right you know besides getting laid off or whatever you know fired or whatever if you're doing well, then you're fine, right? But opening up a store and trying to fund that at the same time was kind of difficult, right? Because I was like, shit, you know, we got to make sure we have enough money to buy a product. We were selling Diamond and 100 stuff at our store, too. It wasn't just, it was a fat lace store, so we sold a bunch of people's brands. Mm -hmm. I was I was into fixed gear. I was into, you know, we buy, buy frames from Japan. You know, like, it was just like madness. And at the same time, I was working for Nike, so it was, you know, juggling, a lot of juggling, you know. And then the people that's running the store, my my wife and my friend Ron, uh -huh. they had jobs as well. So it was kind of it was kind of crazy, you know. Like we were like really all over the place. But at the same time, we learned a lot, you know. You you win and you lose, and that's pretty much the game, you know. Like you win and you lose. You try to break even at the end of the month, try to make some money, try to pay people off. It's kind of crazy. Still yeah. the same thing for anyone that has a store. Yeah, definitely. So then you come out with this Illish shirt with the, the Titleist logo and it just blows up. At that time, was Illist a brand or it was just, just a design that you made? It was just a, des a design with Fat Lace labels. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was with it said Illist and it had Fat Lace tags in the back. And um, I think after the second year, Nike, my friends at Nike were like, hey, dude, you why are you here still? You know, like you, you have a brand and you're like, brands seem to be taken off. I'm like, well, I, I'm not really, you know, that's my, you know, that's my friend's brand and my wife's brand. But, um, I think I was there to learn, you know, you're, you're, you're at Nike to learn. They're the best. You know what I mean? Like if you have that op opportunity to learn from the best, you got to take it. You can't, yeah. you can't, can't pass that up. Right. Yeah, no, hell no, dude. That's that's like a, that's a college course in its own. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much. I, I learned a lot of things I shouldn't be doing. And, you know, you, you don't – sometimes when, when you're gone, you're, you, you realize, shit, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. But you're – because you're there trying to prove yourself, trying to, trying to take chances, you know, like you, you don't want to shake the boat too much because it, that boat's been there for – since 72 right yeah so when you were at nike what were some of the uh the things that you learned that you implemented into the brand that that helped the success of it um i i mean i, I pretty much uh i learned a lot of things you know basically everything that I've, I've been doing in the past 10 years um you know i still talk to a lot of i think not burning bridges is the number one thing you know i think a lot of people that have brands right now they they just go through just going right oh did i cut out yeah you cut out oh you were saying about the the okay. the brands the, the the new brands 
Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, a lot of people that have brands, like, they, it's unfortunate, but they just think they, they run shit without knowing, you know, and I, I, it's unfortunate because, like, people are going to forget about them, you know, like, they won't last very long because they don't care who they're burning on the way, you know? Yeah. Is it apparent for you to see that when you when you see a new brand coming up or you meet a new business owner uh, that their product is hot at that time? Can you can you tell um, the kind of person that they are? Uh, I mean, you know, most of the time I meet with people, I, I don't really I don't I mean, I'm not meeting people on the regular that own brands. But when I do meet them, they're, they're a lot of people definitely have um they're definitely cool with me, but I mean, seeing some brands from the outside and, and, you know, when you hear a lot of craziness about them, you're just like, dang, what's going on? You know, like, wh why would you even go down that road and create animosity? Right. I yeah. mean, unless, unless your brand's all about it, but I mean, you're just, you're basically shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest signs that shows that somebody's not in it for the long haul. They're, they're just in it to, you know, maybe get this money while, while it's hot and then move on to something else. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some people, that's how they live. So it's just, all good. Whatever. Just going from trend to trend. Yeah. Yeah. That's just how they are. I mean, that's can't, can't do anything about it. I mean, I've learned a lot of from my mistakes, so I think it's, it's okay. I mean, I think, they're going to learn, hopefully, but if they're going to keep doing shit like that, then good luck. I feel you, man. So what are some of the most valuable um, lessons that you have learned in business? Um, I think the, the, the most is uh, just being consistent, right? Like you don't want to change your style if you already have a style, right? I think people love your brand because you're – because who you are, you're not trying to steer them. Fuck, I don't want to follow these guys anymore. They, they they change their style too much, right? Yeah. But I think consistent in talking to talking to your, I guess your, you know, your fans and followers and people that that buy your brand and you just keeping keeping it real with them is the, the best way to go about it. Do you feel like your demographic has grown with you? In, in age from the from the brand yeah you know what's crazy is um we had a we had it we just dropped a, a new collection and we we did pretty well you know i think i think we sold crazy amount right mm -hmm. but i think uh my my guys uh my analytics guys were like dude like 56 percent new customers that's crazy right like we haven't gotten that in a while whoa yeah, but I thought, you know, I was like, oh shit, that's pretty good. I mean, I, you know, like I think it's um it's it's a sign that we're doing the right thing and we're transitioning to, you know, new and old. So I think for us, we got to make sure that we still cater to both, you know, the new guys and the old guys. The older guys, they like a lot of basics, right? And I'm all about the basic stuff. You know, some people like it loud. Yeah. But you just have to kind of complement it and Make sure your designs are on point and then should do well. How do you stay tapped into the youth to see what they're into? Um, I, I, I do because I, I have 12 young designers. <laughs> and they tell me, hey, man, you got to see this. You know, you got to check this out. I always 
take it with a grain of salt, but I also take it in because I'm like, you know, you're right. You know, I talk to my kids and they're like, dad, you know, this brand is really good. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Who are these guys? <laughs> and then I look them up. I'm like, whoa, this guy used to work for my friend. Yeah. And they brand and their brands like killing it, you know? Yeah. Sick, yeah. man. Yeah. That, that, that's one thing that, um, that I've noticed that really helps out is that you, you have to kind of, um, put yourself in situations that you normally wouldn't put yourself in. You got to see what the younger kids are into. And it, yeah. it definitely helps out if you have, you know, a child or a family member that's that age. And, uh, my, yeah. my son, he's 12 and man, I watch everything that he does. I watch what he's into, what he thinks is cool. And I, and I try to like be part of it, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, kind of, kind of use that to, uh, push downstar forward because i never want downstar to get the thing where it's like oh it's just the older guys you know i want it to be more of a, yeah. a like a lifestyle thing re rather than yeah. just for older dudes you know yeah i know my daughter she's uh 14 and she's like i'm like dude why do you guys wear sweats all day right like all fucking month long i'm like what is going on here right <laughs> yeah i go to her i drop her off at high school she's a freshman not anymore because you know there's no more school but i'm like why is everyone in this school wearing sweats this is crazy but she's like dad that's like the style i'm like what <laughs> this is too big what are you talking about i don't know it's real funny yeah are, are you on tiktok uh they're on tiktok all day i'm i'm on tiktok but i don't know it's like i i did my first post i got like 30 36,000, uh, I don't know, likes or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and I'm like, wow, I got 36,000 on my first post. And my and Brooklyn's like, Dad, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just posted a, a bus, right? My Volkswagen bus. You didn't even do a dance? I didn't do nothing, dude. And I just <laughs> drove my bus around. And then, and then um, my next post. I'm like, why did it only get 738? <laughs> like, it's so I don't get it. But That's I weird. think maybe I made the, I made the for you page or yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah, the algorithm is crazy, but it's a lot more loose than anything else that we're used to right now. And um, when it first started coming up, there was a lot of people that were really were really skeptical about the numbers. Um, mm -hmm. I I follow the uh, what is it the group chat podcast? Have you heard of that? With, uh, it's with um, Drama from uh, Young and Reckless. Oh, yeah, I know Drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Drama has a podcast, and uh, they would just always talk about TikTok. Hey, what's the podcast called? It's called Group Chat. Oh, wait, no, he used to have his own podcast. Oh, he, right? his own is a short story long. Yeah, 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 that's the one I follow. Yeah, short story long, and then him and two other buddies, they have uh, a podcast called Group Chat. And um, they were talking about TikTok, and uh, I don't know if it was them or if they were just telling a story where somebody decided, okay, well, let's just get some maybe a hundred TikTok influencers and flow them some gear and say, hey, post it up. And they actually noticed like a huge jump in sales after that happened. So th really? those numbers are real. But yeah, you know, we were. Um one of our events in LA, we were going to use five TikTok guys with over, I think it was like 20 million followers or something crazy. I'm like, is this going to work, you know? Yeah. And then I 
Yeah, we, we were going to do it. We didn't do it, but I was like, yeah, it probably work. You know, like these guys want some money, but at the same time, I'm like, maybe it works. Who knows? Yeah, they from what they said, you know, I've been thinking about testing it out, but dude, just running all social medias is, is hard. We need we need a, a social media person for sure. Yeah, I know. We got to kill it on TikTok. Yeah. It's too, it's too crazy, though. I'm like, man, I'm not going to do any dances, but <laughs> we can hire someone to do some dances that are really good dancers. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm scared of TikTok because of the whole... That's, uh, you know, it's like owned by, uh, it's owned, it, it's from China yeah. at the same time. And nothing wrong with China, but you don't know what they're doing with your, with your, with your you know, your, with their data. Yeah. They're Nobody. even saying that a lot of the um, government officials, they're not allowed to have TikTok on their phone just because of security reasons. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they could be in our phones right now. Yeah. I mean, we got to wait till the dust settles with all of this stuff. We got to talk next year to see what's really unfolding, you know? But, yeah, that's true. But that's that, definitely true. That's for our uh, conspiracy podcast, though. <laughs> okay, okay I, I'm okay with that. But, uh, all right, so let, let's jump back into Nike. So when you, you started working into Nike, um, what were some of your uh, your biggest accomplishments there? Um... We did a few things, you know. I think the the launch of Nike Sportswear was like the number one reason why we were all there. You know, I think there was no Nike Sportswear yet, but mm-hmm. uh, the group that created the brand, um, along with all the countries that, uh, that was the main reason why we were all. You cut out for a sec. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, I basically said uh, Nike Sportswear was, like, the main reason why we were all at Nike. Got you. So then you open up the the first um, Fat Lace store, and uh, when did you actually start Illis as a brand? Uh, when I left Nike. You know, I think um, 2009, mm-hmm. I opened up L.A. store. I opened up. Orange County, then I opened up Hawaii, and I was just like, shit, let's kill it. You know, let's just open up a bunch of illest stores, right? Whoa. I switched my in uh, I switched my store in San Francisco to an illest store, and then, you know, I let my I let my leases run out, did four years on every store, and then basically uh, I noticed a trend of uh, retail dying. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I was very fortunate to realize that and got out, you know. So what was the most number of stores that you had at a time? Um, in the U.S., um, we had five. And then um, in Asia, we, we, we have a lot right now. So is it pretty much you you open up one store, you understand what it takes to do, and then you just implement that into all the other stores that you're opening up? Or is each one its own sort of battle? Well, um, I think I'm fortunate enough to have a business partner that – um, his, his, uh, his specialty, I guess, is having stores. Mm-hmm. They have over 1400 stores, I think about 1400 stores mm-hmm. anywhere from, they basically run all of, uh, vans, um, guests, um, just a whole bunch of brands. Right. Yeah. And they, they're, they're, they're fortunate to, I'm fortunate to be their business partner and they, 
they know they know how to run stores you know they know how to run it run businesses yeah wow that's crazy dude that's that's yeah. so cool man just having all those stores around did you did you ever sit down and and just take it all in I think um I, I probably will <laughs> soon <laughs> <laughs> but you know I think I get a little nervous sometimes still I'm like oh shit that's a lot of money but you know if we got in we got um we got we're fortunate enough to have um, business partners let's just say that yeah very cool man do you have anything in Japan uh no I, th- I have I have friends um, that run illis out of there and then um, we have a distribution out of Japan got you got yeah. you now um, if I'm not mistaken did you did you live in Hawaii as well? Um, I so when I had my store there for four years, I I basically was there every other week. <laughs> Got you. But my, my the reasoning behind opening a store in Hawaii, and if anyone's watching this, um, you should really think about opening up a store in Hawaii if you want to learn how to surf or or live that island life, right? Because mm-hmm. that was my main purpose: is I need to learn how to surf, so I'm going to open up a store in Hawaii. People been wanting me to open up a store in Hawaii, so then I did, and. I thought it did well, you know. It was 400, 460 square feet, so small. Yeah. Right. Uh, it it sold well. I mean, we were able to keep um, pay the rent, pay the employees, and me able to being able to go to Hawaii every other every third week or every other week was pretty cool. Now, you doing all of this business and uh, and traveling? Did this put a strain on on your uh, home life? No, no, not at all. Because I think once I get home, I, I I just hang out with my kids all the time. They're actually so surprised I'm not anywhere right now. Really? Like, what? Crazy, yeah. But but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think when I was at Nike, it was a little difficult because I was flying, I was commuting back and forth from San Francisco, uh, San Francisco to to Oregon. Yeah. So my wife wasn't really happy about that idea of me living half the week over there and half the week in the bay so um that's kind of why i moved back and started illis because it just wasn't you know flying that often was was no one should have to fly that often you know yeah no definitely man so when uh when illis started um started popping off um how were you able to to manage everything how 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 did the your team grow at that time Shit, man. We had like in the states, our our we had about thirty five employees, forty. It was a lot, right? And paying taxes, you know, like this many people in the states versus my Asia team, where they can handle everything, all the business side of it. Very, very stressful on myself because I basically stopped designing because of that, right? I think it kind of hurt the brand a little because I wasn't able to concentrate on being creative you know like I, we're lucky to have the collaborations that we did back then and um there was no real planning right we were just like fuck we got to think of something for next week yeah or we got to think something for next month now we're, we have have like 20 collabs in in the pipeline right and we have our creative all the way done till next year but now we have to adjust because of this whole 
thing we're all going through, right? We have to edit. We got to make things right. We got to design because of what's happened, right? You know, and I think you have to adjust to the times now. We can't just, okay, because we designed this last year, we're still going to release it. We can't do that, right? We got to edit because shit happened, and now we got to make sure that we're releasing the right product. Yeah. How important is it to you to um, feed your creativity? Me? Oh, man. I feed it all day long. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm looking at magazines all day. I'm looking at houses. That That's given me the most inspiration lately. And, um, you know, a lot of art, a lot of design. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I feel sometimes, man, is when, when business and work just gets too much, then I, I feel like the thing that, that suffers a lot is the creativity. And it feels yep. like it's always it's always um, a tug of war. You know, you're you're trying to play with with the responsibilities and the business that you have to. And then the childlike creativity that you want to keep feeding but then it's getting yep. you have uh, obligations that you got to focus on, and that's something that I still deal with to this day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's tough, man. Like, it's a fine line, and right, and a good balance. You got to definitely balance it out. I think that's um, the hardest part of it. I think having those partners help me realize that okay, I'm really good at this. Let's just. They just want me to focus on this, and that's it, right? So um, super fortunate for that. Yeah. Now, you say houses. You're really into um, like uh, mid-century modern houses, correct? Uh, I'm into mid-century a lot. I think um, in the past couple of years, it's been it's gotten a bit oversaturated, Yeah. right? Everyone wants one. Um, it's fine. I don't care. I'm still gonna make one, right? Yeah. But uh, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say I'm way more into modern design than anything else. But I've 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 switched over and I've kind of uh, crossbred uh, modern and traditional Japanese. So um, the house that we're we're remodeling right now is uh, gonna be that. It's gonna be half Japanese, half um, modern design. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Now, do you have any other hobbies that you use to um, to feed your creativity? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I've I've just gotten back into art, you know, like painting. Um, I'm painting cars right now. It's pretty funny, but um, like model cars. I, uh, no, like my I, I take photos and then I paint paint those photos. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, so uh, basically, I, I unfollowed everyone on Instagram um, about three months ago. Uh -huh. Right. And uh, my it's funny. I have this. I think in December I unfollowed everyone because I said, okay, I want to focus. I'm going to try to figure out uh, what I want to draw and what I want to paint. Right. Because I said I want to get back into art. And and if I if I had a conversation with you, uh, somebody, then I would follow you. Do you know what I'm saying? Because uh, I think that's because you're following so many people, but you don't really talk to them. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, I want to paint this, and after I figured out what I want to paint, then I started following people again, and that's what I mean by if I talk to you on the phone or if I text you, then I'm going to follow you because I feel like 
I'm actually connected with you this year, right? It's kind of like when you're, uh, you know, Marie Konda, is it? The, the lady who cleans and like throws away all the garb, your old garbage in your house, mm-hmm. right? Um, when you're purging your old stuff that you haven't touched in years, I think that's when you realize, oh shit, I got way too much junk, right? Yeah. I, I, that's the same mentality I felt with, um, uh, nothing wrong with following people because you get inspiration, but I didn't want to have inspiration from other people in my artwork. Right. Yeah. That, that was the main reason for not looking at people's stories. If I look at your story, then subconsciously it's in your head mm-hmm. and then you're going to end up drawing some shit like that. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I never even thought about that. That makes so much sense though, dude. Uh, dude, I'm I'm like way into this weird um, way of thinking right now, which is cool. But but it's true, right? Like the more you're looking at other people's story, the more you're gonna think about it, and it's gonna just stick in your brain. And eventually, you're gonna be like doing that. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. Are you big on uh, like energy that people bring? Oh, totally. Any negative energy, I don't talk to you anymore. Really? You're done. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. It's like, man, all this guy does is talk crazy. Like, why am I, why do I even have to deal with this? <laughs> even friends, you know, like some friends of mine, I'm like, everything's like conspiracy theory. I like conspiracy theory movies, but it's just tough sometimes. It's with conspiracies, I to- dude. I, I, I absolutely love conspiracies, but it's definitely a fine line. And I have to keep myself in check because if you go a little too far, then you're just, Watch it. There's a helicopter right there following me, or why? Why is this yeah. ad popping up, or something like that? You know. But um, I, I, I definitely like the entertainment aspect of it, and what it really helps me out with is to kind of look at things from different angles all the time, rather than than what it what's given to you. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it it is it is a fine line, and people. They, they'll take things that they see on a YouTube video or something like that as fact. And yeah. then and then they keep going down the rabbit hole. And now every single thing is a conspiracy. Oh, it's crazy, man. And, and, the, and the funny thing is, you know, the elderly, the older guys, the older guys that, that, that believe everything Facebook says. Yeah. Any news thing from Facebook is real news. It's like, man, I don't know. You guys are crazy already. Yeah, I I, I no. think that there's a a majority of people are just crazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. So, um, when did uh when did you start Hella Flush? Um, started two thousand three. Two thousand three. Yeah, we started Hella Flush in two thousand three. We were into drifting like soup, you know, like we drifted every day. Um, pretty much for, I don't know, very long time. Uh huh. And, but yeah, a friend, a friend of mine, he was like, oh man, that's hella flush. You know, like we put, put our, put our, I bought some J lines, you know, J line, yeah. the rim company. Actually have uh, one right, right there. I was wondering if that was, <laughs> yeah. I used to do a stand website for him. Oh really? Uh, I did the J line website, but, um, uh, it's, J line. I put some J lines on my S14, 
my friend was like, oh, that's hella flush. I'm like, oh, shit, that's a cool word. So I bought the URL. Yeah. And then I just started posting up cars that look like that, right? Yeah. It was basically our cars that were looking like that. And we would drift like that. And it kind of took off. It was kind of crazy. Would you go drifting out of track? Yeah, yeah. We rented tra- <laughs> we rented tracks and then we drifted wherever we can drift. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to drift, man. But around us, there's not really anything close by. I think the closest track is like Button Willow, and I don't even know if they do drifting there. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, but I could just imagine just being like going on a on a freeway on ramp or something. That would be so awesome, dude. But um, so when you started that, was that just another blog? Um, it was a blog, and then you know we started having these little meets called Hella Flush One, Hella Flush Two, Hella Flush Three. <laughs> they were just huge events, and we were like, "Damn, we could, we kind of do something with this, right?" And we started selling stickers and started selling T-shirts at these events, and people were all about it, you know. Yeah, I think I stopped Hella Flush because someone in Japan stole my name, uh-huh. and they started trying to have an event called hella flesh out there oh and uh i think that's when we stopped that got you i remember going to a hella flesh meet uh fuck i don't even remember santa monica maybe yeah santa monica that was crazy yeah that was cool man that was probably like 2010 2009 somewhere around yeah, there. yeah, yeah. That, that was like 700 cars right that was like crazy yeah <laughs> Good old days, man. That was awesome. So Yeah, the cops, they had no idea what to do. They were just like, man, this whole place is jam-packed. <laughs> but we paid for parking. That's what I said. Hey, you guys are making a lot of money today. You shouldn't be mad at us. <laughs> Every spot sold. <laughs> yeah. So um, when did... uh, What the hell was I going to say, dude? It's just... You were saying about the name got stolen, and that brought me to um, Illist, and seeing that design everywhere and every eBay account, seeing so much product that was that was not, um, I'm assuming not official Illist yeah. merch. Um, what did you think when that was happening? Um, all the fake stuff. I was a, I'm a, I was okay with the fake stickers because I think seeing illicit stickers on cars was really good advertising. Yeah. Right. And I talked, you know, I, I, I would talk to the Stussy lawyers because the lawyers from Stussy would always text me or call me and like, or email me and say, Hey, Mark, I found more, more illicit stuff on the, you know, cause he, he basically shuts them all down with a cease and desist. Right. Yeah. And he would send me, forward me hundreds of these, I guess ads, I mean, people selling shit that's an illness on them. I'm like, man, this is crazy. I need to hire somebody, right? So then we ended up hiring another lawyer just to shut all these people down with a cease and desist. Until now, we still do the same thing. And luckily, um, I got my guys in Asia that are pretty much shutting everyone down. But, you know, I think stickers are, are fine. You know, I think it's when it's product, that's when I kind of – Man, that's ugly design they made, right? So <laughs> we got to shut them down. Yeah. 
Now, I was listening to the uh, podcast that you did with uh, Christian Loza, um, uh, How It's Done, and you were talking about the um, the Titleist situation in depth. Um, and uh, it didn't seem like it was that negative of a, of a situation. It seemed like it, it ended up even a little positive. Can you go over that a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, once we got the cease and desist, um, it took us about two years to go back and forth with them trying to see where we could find the, 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 the middle ground on what we can do, right? Because, first of all, they didn't want us to make golf gear with the Illis logo, their logo, and this and that. Don't try not to do any more cursive Illis logos. And I'm like, what? But, like, that's my hand style. I could do whatever Illis logo I want to do, right? And I think we found a middle ground. The lady from uh, Akushnet, the, the owners of Titleist, mm-hmm. they own a bunch of other golf brands. But she was like super cool, man. She would like end up emailing me, telling me what we can do, what we should do moving forward, this and that. And, you know, we became friends. So I think it's, you know, she wasn't against us. She just understood that if one of her golf you know, like one of her golf colleagues sees one of the golfers wearing an Illis hat that looks like Titleist, they're going to call it out, right? And they did see that, and they were kind of like, fuck, <laughs> this brand is coming up, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> at the time, we had a, a semi-pro golfer wearing our Illis hat yeah. on tour, and <laughs> they saw that. They were <laughs> That's when we got our seats in the sis. So, yeah. So do you feel like it's how you handled that situation that made it end up a, a positive? Well, I think at the in the end, I think we at at the working for me that was stalling mm-hmm. and it, it, it pissed them off, right? Yeah. So when that person finally left, um, I was able to, uh, uh, you know, make the situation much better. Got you, got you. Now, um. Let's go ahead and touch on uh, networking and the importance of networking. When did you realize that um, the value of networking and what are some of the things that you do to uh, build those relationships and keep those relationships? Um, you know, like like I said earlier, I think um, we in life, you, you realize you do things that are good and you do things that are bad and then you're like, fuck, I'm not the best at this and not, I'm not the best at that. But one thing I always try to be is like uh, a friend to everyone and uh, try to try to understand what their, what their needs are and what, what my needs are. Right. Kind of, kind of go both ways versus just your one way. You know, like if I was to hit you up, my whole intent, you know, some people's intentions are, I just want to do a collab with this guy and, and make money. Yeah. Right. So, so my, my intention is try not to go into the game that way, right? Yeah. Try not to think just money because money you can make, right? Like, I think it's friendships that, that last, that, that make, that make it count, right? Yeah, definitely. So a, a good, a good example is, um, my friendship with, uh, the owner of Moon Eyes, mm-hmm. right? Shige, he's a old, old school dude, right? Like he was gifted Moon Eyes for a dollar, yeah. Right. When Bob Moon died, he gave it to him for a dollar. That's insane. He knew that he's the right guy for the brand. That's going to keep it going, right? And 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 I've met with him maybe 
for five years, I was like, dude, we got to work on something. He's like, it's been five years. We got to work on something. I'm like, I know. So then I finally showed up with something and he was like super stoked on it. And, and from there, from then on, he understood that it's not, I didn't want to just use him for a collab. Yeah. I wanted to be a friend, you know? And I think I try to come into any situation like that these days. Right. I think sometimes it goes the other way, but you know, you try to come in with your mind thinking in the most positive way. Yeah. So how do you approach situations like that when most people who have a successful business are, they have a wall up um, because people are always asking them for stuff. How do you end up getting on that side of being a friend and being like, look, dude, I just, I look up to your brand and I would love to be a friend of yours and I don't need anything from you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I, I get I get hit up like I I, I mean you can, you can imagine I get hit up pretty much all the time, and I, I think it's okay. I love getting hit up about hey let's um maybe let's work on something in the future, you yeah. know. And I say you know what uh, I'm totally down. Like I think um I think let's just work on your brand. If you need any uh, advice, lefts and rights, uh, let me know, and I can I can help you, you know, because I've been I've been through everything. Yeah. Seriously, I, I feel like I've been through pretty much everything, you know, highs and lows. So I could kind of help coach these kids that under to help them understand, okay, so your, your brand's super hot right now. What are you going to do in one year, right? Or what are you going to do in two years? You can't keep repeating the same thing, although some brands do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just, it's just about helping other people out when when people do ask you to come up and like hey can we work on something together and go yeah let's work on your brand first you know yeah that's that's very cool of you man yeah i mean i I do the same i mean friends that have bigger brands than myself they they've they've given me the same advice as well you know like let's see your brand grow a little and then and then let's talk you know yeah yeah, no, definitely. There's so many people that I want to work with and collabs and, you know, even to have them on as a, as a guest on the podcast. But I always just have to have to plan it right. You know, make sure that it's the right time. Make sure that I'm ready for whatever's going to come after that. Make sure that, you know, the product that we're going to do together, this this collaboration or even have them on the podcast that that it that it feels right that it feels organic because um you know i don't want to hit at a time that i'm not ready Mm -hmm. and um i want to make sure that it's um that it works out both ways you know and sometimes it's hard like what what can i bring to some company that has everything what can i what can i bring to the table that this person they they don't need anything and that's kind of the the struggles that I have. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think uh, come in with a little confidence. You know what I'm saying? Because I think you have a brand that that people are down with. You know? Yeah. They these companies that you want to work with, these guys want to. They want your market as well. You know? That's yeah. why they're work. That's why they're even talking to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think we go we always go in confident and we always tell people we show them our deck and then we show them who we've worked with in the past and the reason why we want to work with you 
right? Like we want to work with you because you guys do this. You guys want, you guys really want to work with us because we, we have this reach, right? And I think from there on, you know, people, people will be like, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Let's do this. Yeah. Someone that I really want to have on the podcast, but then I don't know if I want to have them on because I'm super intimidated would be a podcast that you were on was uh, Ben Baller. So, oh yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> tell me about that experience. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, well, I was barely on his podcast because he talks so fucking much. <laughs> Not just, uh, I'm just playing. Uh, ben and I are good friends. He he shares the same birthday as my wife, uh-huh. and I've been for so many years. Right? I think back when uh, you know who DJ AM is. Yeah, rest in peace. So DJ AM, he passed away. Um, I I used to trade shoes with him. And then he used to be like, uh, I, I was a big shoe collector, right? And um, Ben was part of his Air Mac crew, right? They were like same sneaker crew back then. And I think um, I met him in San Francisco back in the Nike Talk days. And we've been friends since. Yeah. He's crazy. He's yeah. a wild dude. Yeah, he is, man. That podcast is crazy. It's entertaining, but it's, it's definitely... Um, intimidating i don't know if if we'll have that conversation i'd like to meet him one day though yeah yeah he's he's blunt you know like but you know the funny thing is a lot of people that don't know him uh don't know him and once you know him you're like oh man this guy's crazy you know (laughs) you're just like he's just pulling my my leg right now but but he's a good dude yeah shout out to him man so uh are you still into sneakers um no no i have i have I have 500 pairs of shoes right now i'm trying to get rid of them but i'm also trying to figure out what my son wants because his foot's growing so fast so i'm trying to figure out which, which shoes he wants to keep yeah and then i'll just get rid of <laughs> what yeah. size are you uh well depending on what shoe brand anywhere from nine to ten you know got you got you so is it mostly nikes um yeah yeah, mostly Nike, Adidas, and um, yeah. Like I, I got into Visvim for a while, so I got quite a few pairs of those. Gotcha. What's your holy grails? Uh, none of them anymore. Really? You're just <laughs> over it? Over it. I think Jordan 1s are my favorite shoe still. Air Max 1s. Yeah. Gotcha. Did you ever get into Yeezys? Yeah, dude. We had, uh, I had 35 pairs of Yeezys at one point. Wow, the Adidas and or Nikes? Nike Yeezys, and I had old uh, Adidas Yeezys as well, but we sold all of those. We, we made some good money on that. I bet. Did you have the Red Octobers? All of them, dude. We had no like seven, fucking ten pairs way. Of them. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Ah, <sighs> dude. If anybody has some Red Octobers right now and a nine, let me know, dude. <laughs> dude, I I can't see spending that amount for them though. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. How much are they going for now? I don't. I haven't even checked. But if I was to guess, probably over ten. You know. No shit. We were selling them for four thousand each. No shit. I mean, yeah, that yeah. when they came out, it was. I I'd pr- probably get them for about that much. But now, since it's been so long, and then since Kanye's been going through his shit, and like that was a. That was an era, and this new era is something different. That represents something else. Because the Nike Yeezy um, shoes, that has a different meaning to me than the Adidas Yeezys yeah. does. So definitely, that's true. I would like to have something like that for the for nostalgia, you know. 
like some the whether the blinks is that what they were called the 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 first ones I think I, I know we made them dude we made them when I was at Nike time. Uh, say yeah, that we again had I'm, made, uh, I'm sorry oh uh, we were um my friend, uh, my friend at the time, Roger, he was uh, part of the team that made the Yeezy. So they would sense, they would give me samples all the time, and I've, I have a pair of samples that no one's ever seen. No way! I should, I should get it, but they're not here. <laughs> well, if you want to get I, rid of some of those, I, let me know. I posted those up one time. This one dude was like, "I don't know." I felt like he just started harassing me. He wanted to buy them so so badly. Yeah. <laughs> Are they the same colorway or? No, nah, these were like, they had some weird like silk interior. It was crazy. Like he wanted to go crazy on it, right? Yeah. Uh, they left them on my desk. I was like, shit, I'm keeping these. Dude, that's cool. Yeah. Now, when you were at, um, excuse me for my ignorance about, um, the Nike Dunks. When was that? Were you, were you part of that? No, it was a uh, the SBs. No. Excuse me, not the Dunks. SBs. No, no SBs. I think started in ninety um, ninety eight, ninety nine. I don't know, maybe two thousand three. I, I can't remember. But mm. um, what did it say here? I can't remember actually. Did we do that collab? We did a collaboration with Savior. Uh, it was a, a brand uh, Nike owned at the time. It was a Nike. It was basically Nike skateboarding before Nike SB started. Mm -hmm. And we did a collab with them. I think back in two thousand one, and uh, SB started in two thousand two or two thousand three, something like that. Because once they phased out Savior, um, um, Nike SB started. Got you. Yeah, we did a collab with them. We did a fat lace shoe, and then. Oh, no. it's upstairs um i did uh we did a collab with them and then we ended up doing collab with uh, nike sb and staple out of uh, new york yeah yeah wow man you've done so much bro that's awesome um now another thing that you did that you brought to the states uh was uh rwb so let's, let's talk about that um how did that yeah. come out um some similar story, you know, like I, I went, I, I bought a Porsche when I was at Nike uh, back in 2007. Uh -huh. And uh, I wanted on an auction on eBay, right? So I, I took a train up to Seattle, drove the car back down. At the time, Brian Scotto from the Hoonigans, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so Brian uh, had a magazine called, I think it was Zero to Sixty or something. I don't know can't remember i think it was zero to 60 uh -huh. it was out of new york and he he did an article feature on nakai i saw it and i was like shit i need to get one of these cars tried to contact them they they didn't speak english right so i ended up going to japan mm -hmm. met with toshi who's their representative met with nakai and i was like shit i want to bring this to the states they're like yeah yeah let's do it you know let's Let's be. Let's let's do it. I, w I met them around Tokyo Auto Salon time, and then by June he was uh, at my June, July, August. By August he was at my warehouse and building Brian's and my my car and someone some other kid uh, Evan mm -hmm. back. I forgot where he's from. Connecticut, Connecticut. I don't know something like that. Yeah. 
So, um, what year was this? This was a long time ago. Um, maybe 2000, what year are we? 20. <laughs> 2010, 2011. Okay. Like so, yeah, a long time ago. So when you uh, when you brought the car to the or when you brought him and had him do the car, did you understand the significance of what it was all going to become? Um, I had a, I had a feeling it was going to blow up, right? Because we we basically built my car and Brian's car for SEMA, mm -hmm. and um, from there it, it just kind of took off. Everyone wanted to buy one after that, right? And I would take orders. I would be like, fuck, people are crazy. They're just dropping $20,000 just for a kit that they have to wait five months for, right? Yeah. And then the line for this thing started growing and growing. Everyone in the world wanted one. And I started, everyone hit me up. And I said to Toshi, I go, Toshi, we might need like representatives from every country in the world because I can't manage this myself. And you can't manage it yourself, but there should be a, a kind of a line. Um, you know, it goes from Tosh, it goes from me, it goes to that guy, the guy to me, the Tosh. You know what I mean? Make sure there's a configuration, or else it's going to get too scatterbrained, right? Yeah. It did end up getting too scatterbrained, but at the same time, uh, luckily we realized that, and then you know, figure fixed it. It's still kind of scatterbrained with some people. People think they could just do whatever, but um, I don't know. It's cool. I think we, we ended up, you know, the brand's still good. It's still super busy. Nakai's still busy building cars. Um, it definitely plateaued for a while. Yeah. And um, now it's really, if you really want it, you're going to get it. I wouldn't say it's in hot demand because there's so many cars like that, but you know, the, the essence and the aura of RWB is still alive in Japan really well, you know, like even in the States. Yeah. When we went to uh, Auto Salon, we went to the uh, the annual RWB meet that they have out there all I the time. I wasn't able to make it, dude. That shit was far, dude. Yeah. The, at first, we went to the first location because that's where we thought it was going to be at, where the, the Hard Rock is. But then they... Yeah. They switched the location, and uh, by the time we got there, it was a, it was a little later. Dude, that I was like, sorry guys, I, actually I couldn't make it. I mm. came to Japan the day after that. Ended up going to their store. Remember they opened up that little pop up store? I don't know if you ended up going to that. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's in uh, it was in uh, Shibuya also, but um, yeah, I couldn't make that. I couldn't. My timing was off. I, I was flying from Manila mm -hmm. to Japan. But just my timing was way off. Now, do you think bringing RWB to the states helped the popularity of the Porsche community? Um, mixed feelings. You know, I think uh, the hot rod community of Porsches are way into it. Although there's a lot of hot rod, hot rod purists, if you could even call that <laughs> something, but some of those guys are like, ah, you know, but yeah. then they're old guys. They don't give a fuck. They're like old guys. You can't change their mind, you know? So whatever. Yeah. But a lot, a lot of people are down with it. A lot of, uh, I guess a lot of the purest 911 guys that, that restore cars to like, you know, like to spec, those guys aren't really down with it, but I'd say the singer guys are kind of down with it. Yeah. I mean, singer guys were like way into it 
in the beginning as well. Like they would they would always email me as well. Dude, very cool, man. Now, what do you have in the stable right now? Um, I got I have a couple Porsches. I got a, a Sport Turismo mm-hmm. a station wagon, a Panamera Sport Turismo, and then uh, I have a Cayenne GTS. That's my wife's car. Okay. Uh, a 964, 911. I just picked that back up. I bought it from a, I sold it to a friend in Florida. I bought it back from him, um, just recently. And I got my bus still. Yeah. And I got this Ferrari I'm trying to sell that three, five, five. And then, um, my son's car, his eight, six. I still have that. Oh, very cool. What year is that? Uh, that Ferrari? It's a 99 uh, F355, uh, the B. Mm-hmm. It's a hard car. Yeah. So what's your uh, your favorite car out of all of them? Um, I was driving the bus today. I love the bus still. It's, you know, it rips. It's fast. <laughs> yeah. I bet that thing gets a lot of attention, huh? Yeah, I, I was driving too low because my fuse on my, uh, I guess on the, I have air in the, air suspension in the front. Uh, the fuse blew, mm-hmm. so I was like a little too low, of scraping on everything, man. It sucked. <laughs> do you uh, do you have a muscle car also? Oh, that's my sister's. Uh, well, my dad's very first car. It's a 1970 uh, Camaro. Yeah. So uh, my my brother in law hit me up. He's like wanted to fix it up. Um, he ended up putting a, a crate motor in it. Uh huh. Then I ended up um, getting it painted and. You know, he bagged it. Looks sick. It's yeah. But I, I'm actually, my next car is going to be a, a hot rod. What are you thinking? Uh, Maybe a 32, 32 Ford. Oh, wow. I'm going to take it back. Yeah, that or um, for sure that I'm for sure going to get one of those. And then uh, maybe a 65 Nova. Nice. Those are like the, uh, the box ones, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I love that. I love that body style. Been yeah. trying to buy my friends forever. Yeah, dude, there's something yeah. about those uh, those '60s Chevys, man. They're 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 something else. I have a '69 Chevelle, and I've had that since high school, oh, dude. I love that car. Uh, is it fixed up? Uh, sort of. Uh, I mean, the body it needs work, but I have a 383 Stroker in it, uh, 177 blower, a YN blower, single carb. Um, it's actually not a carburetor anymore. It's a fuel injected. So it's like the FI tech where it's like the carburetor, but it's a, it's still the root style blower. Cause I didn't want to get rid of that. I, I love how that looks. Nice. Like, um, have you seen Nick's, uh, Chevelle's? I have. He has the, the 69 and, uh, 68 if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I've never Did seen he- him in person, but, uh, they, they look oh. awesome. Come with me next time. We can go to his uh, office and then check him out. Dude, let me know. I would love to, man. Um, I, I've always, and that's so weird. Like I always say about uh, about Nick is that like the hardware. And then when I seen the car, I'm like, dude, this is this is too crazy. It's the same exact car. Yeah. <laughs> but cool. uh, yeah, the only thing about those fucking cars, dude, is there's it's not reliable. It's not. Really? It's still even with the fuel injection still not reliable but it could be my fault too because the car's been down forever then i get it running again and i still haven't spent much uh or paid much attention to it but i wish i could just jump in that car and just drive and and that's not a reality 
Yeah, yeah, crazy. We even put in um, a rack and pinion setup, and I was help- hoping that that would help with steering. But then you know how that goes is that it's from like Jags or Summit, and then now the the rack and pinion the 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 steering ratio on it is just terrible. So it made it even worse than the than the steering box. Yeah, so, that's great. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, man. It's like it, I I'd rather mess with Hondas because it's just easier plug and play. And if I have any issues, I could just go on Instagram and just ask, hey, how do I fix this? And oh then, yeah, yeah. You still have a Honda now? Yeah, I have my um. I have a 93 Civic hatchback. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a gray one. Uh, I, I had Lambo doors on it. The engine bay is all graffiti, underglow and everything. So that was kind of my, my throwback to the past. And then I have a 92 SIRS, which is, is my my baby. And that's uh-huh. a right the right-hand drive K-series. And that one's pretty much hooked up all the way. And I got some stuff going on with both of those cars, but I'm keeping it uh, keeping it <laughs> under wraps until it's ready. But um, oh man, I, I'm looking for a I'm looking for two cars right now because I told my kids that uh, they can only pick a car from Initial D, yeah. so, I can, so I can start working on them. Right, um, my son's car, his eight six is already hooked up. I just need to change the wheels. Nice, but um, it's like already complete. Yeah, my my daughter. My middle daughter wants to get an S2000. Oh, sweet. She wanted, yeah, she wanted this S Suzuki. It's the smallest car in Initial D. She wanted it. It was some Suzuki, red Suzuki, tiny one. I'm like, uh, they don't make that in the U.S., so you have to pick another one. <laughs> so she so wants the S2000? She picked the S2000, and, and the eldest, uh, Brooklyn, she wants um, she wants an Alteza. You know, yeah, IS. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she said it looks the most normal amongst all the cars. <laughs> but I'm still going to fix it up, man. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a nice car right there, too. I, I've, I've always loved that one. Mm-hmm. I've never had an S2000, but I've wanted to get one. Um, Ryan from Rywire, he's the guy to talk to about S2000s. He's... Yeah, I wanna, I, I had an S2000. It was all Spoon Sports at the time back in 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah, a long time ago. I went crazy on Spoon, right? Like, first it was uh, all Jay's Racing ARC. Yeah. And then I ended up switching everything over to uh, uh, Spoon. And then um, that was my wife's car, I, her daily. Yeah. So uh, she was driving that to San Francisco every day. It was kind of <laughs> funny. Cool. You know, manual and kind of crazy. But, um, yeah. It, man, it's crazy what Spoon was able to do with branding. They've they've been able to uh, keep, keep their name high up there the uh the legacy of spoon is is huge man great yeah yeah good friend yeah i wonder if they understand it what it means to the states um i'm sure they understand it because uh you know sales and all that stuff you know i don't think they're i'm not i've never been to the facility i know it's a i don't know how big it is but at the same time i i'm, I'm sure they understand that it's a huge uh ask you know yeah it's it's not that big um it's nothing compared to mugen that place is huge bro yeah that that's a totally different story last year we went for auto salon uh not in january the year before and we um my buddy uh ryan from ibach meet he was setting up a meeting with them and we ended up going and they took us through a whole tour 
That's that's like another story, dude. Shit, I want to go next time. Dude, it's so crazy that they were telling us that the whole land that's that the building is on is actually on like some sort of springs. So because they have earthquakes all the time in Japan, so yeah, yeah. so it doesn't move, so it doesn't mess up the machining that they have going on, and uh, yeah, it, it was nuts, dude. I I didn't even know that that was the son of Mister Honda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got busted for some kind of crazy and uh, embezzlement shit. No way. Ago. Yeah, he went to jail for a while, and he, he I guess he's still running it now. Dude, he was rad, bro. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed oh. like he did some stuff. <laughs> you guys met him? Yeah, dude. He was so cool. And he was actually uh, asking us questions and asking our input, which uh, which was really special, you know, especially Mugen, dude. That's that's huge. Yeah, I love that brand. That brand's dope. Yeah. So speaking of legacy, man, what what is the uh, what is the legacy that you want to leave? Uh, not only with with your brands, but just you as a person. Um, I, I just want people to to know that. Um, I mean, I, I was out there. I've been here because uh, I've been. I I just wanted to do the right thing. You know what I mean? I I, I don't. I'm not trying to ask for too much as far as a legacy goes. Yeah. I mean. That know me understand that i'm super passionate about everything i do so you know yeah i love it man now i gotta ask you uh last question i gotta ask you the tough one what do you see uh the future of streetwear man it's a, that's such a weird question right now i mean of all times to ask it because you know so many people are doing forums on shit what's next you know what i mean because we're all going through the same kind of situation. Yeah. I think, I think the personally, I think streetwear, our brand and brands that are similar within price point, they're not having a t terrible time during this time because it's still accessible. I think, uh, brands that are super exclusive and super expensive, you know, like, the high-end streetwear brands, those are are not doing the best because no one needs a seven hundred dollar hoodie, right? Like a like an off white. Yeah, exactly. Like an off white, and then it's not not nothing to knock on them. Yeah, I mean, still going to be rich people buying it, but it's not in people's cards right now because it's you know it's a it's a luxury to have those things, and right now people aren't really buying luxury shit. Yeah, there was that article that came out where uh, Virgil was saying that that streetwear was dead, and that was that was kind of surprising for me to um, to hear because that's kind of what I classify his brand into. Yeah, his is definitely high end streetwear. I think I think he was basically saying that streetwear is being redefined right now, and uh, and I I think he's absolutely correct with that. Yeah, but it's now. What's happened with everything that's happening? We're pretty much all everyone's on the same level yeah. right now. So it's up to you as an entrepreneur to step up your game and trying to figure out what's the best thing for your brand right now and how can you. You're not gonna try to monopolize. You're gonna try to come out of this uh, with super positive, um, you know, vibes and like ideas that can help amplify your brand even to the next level yeah mark 
Thank you so much, bro. I really, really appreciate this, man. This is an awesome conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you've, Do it again. Yeah. Do it again. Yeah, no, definitely, dude. Um, uh, this is a one, uh, what, what number is this? 161. All right. We'll, we'll see each other in uh, 50 more episodes. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I look forward to it, man. Let's definitely keep in touch. Um, you're, you're one person that, that motivates me and really shows me that there is, there's a path and there's a way to make it happen. You know, um, sometimes, oh, I, yeah. sometimes I feel like, how am I going to be able to go from the guy who sold bolts to, you know, getting out of that stigma and still being able to, um, you know, still being able to tackle that part of the community, but also spread to other things. And, um, it's people like yourself that show me that there is, there is a way out, you know, and I, I appreciate yeah. that. Cool. Yeah, man. Anytime. Hit me up anytime, dude. Like you got my number text. Dope. I appreciate it, man. So, um, before we get out of here, where can people find you at? Uh, just on my Instagram, um, at MRK.RCNL, or you could just go to illis.com, but you can't get to me that way. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have it listed below. Um, once again, Mark, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Everybody listening, thank you for your time. And a huge thank you to our sponsor, Heel Toe Automotive, for uh, backing up the podcast. They've been in the Honda community since 2002. Um, and there's, they're such a great company, man. And uh, we look forward to working with them. And uh, look forward to building a relationship with you, man. I really, really appreciate your time. Cool. Thank you. Sweet. All right, guys, we're out of here. Episode 161, and we out. Peace.